Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, our own Nina Serrano has a conversation with longtime activist and poet and artist Arnoldo Garcia around the Zapatista movement, and we hear some of his original poetry. We also speak to musician Diana Gameros about her upcoming show and hear some of her lovely music. And as always, we start our program with Noticias Sin Fronteras, News Without Borders, as well as updates from Brazil. Stay tuned for Noticias Sin Fronteras, News Without Borders, and updates from Brazil. Buenas noches. This is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders, covering news from America Latina for the week ending June 1st. Colombia. The presidential elections held on May 25th in Colombia resulted in no candidate garnering more than 50% of the ballots, so a runoff election is scheduled to be held on Sunday, June 15th. Incumbent President Juan Manuel Santos received 25.6% of the vote, while his closest rival, right-wing candidate Oscar Ivan Zuluaga, received close to 30%. The election had an abstention rate of 60%, with many Colombian voters disaffected because of allegations of espionage and dirty money in the presidential campaign. The choice between the top two candidates has often centered on peace negotiations with the FARC. President Santos has vowed to continue the peace talks if elected, while his rival has indicated he would place further conditions on the peace talks and may possibly suspend them altogether. Ecuador a court in Ecuador has sentenced former President Hamil Mahuad to 12 years in jail for embezzlement in a ruling which came just two days after an international warrant was issued for his arrest. Mr. Mahuad was tried in absentia by the Ecuadorian judicial system. A military coup ousted Mr. Mahuad after he had been president for less than one year in 2000, after which he reportedly fled to the United States. Mr. Mahuad released a statement stating that the case against him was politically motivated. The current president of Ecuador, Rafael Correa, denies the allegations and Interior Minister Jose Serrano said of the case, quote, There's no political persecution here. What Ecuadorian justice seeks is the punishment of common criminal acts, end quote. Guatemala. Land activists are reporting that the peaceful mining resistance to the El Tambor mine in La Puya, Guatemala, was forcibly broken up by the mining firm Caps, Cassidy and Associates, known as KCA, which is based in Reno, Nevada. The forcible eviction was supported by hundreds of elite Guatemalan police officers who then stood guard as heavy equipment was transported to the site. The two-year-long indigenous resistance to the mining operation was known for its dedication to non-violent protest tactics. La Puya community members had maintained a 24-hour peaceful presence on the roads leading up to the mine. Alfred Jones of the Guatemalan Human Rights Commission stated in regards to the La Puya resistance, quote, their dedication to nonviolence is unmatched in Guatemala, end quote. Despite their violent eviction on May 23rd, the land activists have vowed to continue demonstrating against the El Tambor mine to protect their ancestral lands from further development and destruction. Mexico. The Mexican constitutional reforms needed to grant private companies rights to oil and gas exploration were passed last December by the administration of Enrique Peña Nieto. The secondary round of legislation, which establishes the rules and procedures for the sale of Mexican oil and gas, could be approved as early as this June by the Mexican Congress. 
national pride, concerns about lost sovereignty, anti-neoliberal sentiments, and an aversion to foreign oil companies have combined to form massive opposition to the Mexican government's privatization plans. Opponents are collecting signatures to place a referendum on the privatization on the ballot in time for the July 2015 federal elections. According to Bloomberg reports, Chevron, Shell, ExxonMobil, and Repsol SA are among the major oil companies that have expressed interest in the Mexican oil fields. Estados Unidos. The U.S. House of Representatives has approved a controversial bill to introduce sanctions against the Venezuelan government headed by President Nicolas Maduro. The House legislation calls for a travel ban on some members of the Venezuelan government and also includes the freezing of assets held in U.S. banks. The Obama administration opposes sanctions against Venezuela, yet Secretary of State John Kerry was reported to have said that the U.S. was, quote, losing patience, end quote, with Venezuela. The sanctions bill still faces challenges to passage in the U.S. Senate. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item that you would like to share or have us track, email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. zapatos en el cuello y la camisa me la pongo aquí mi pantalón no se revienta el sexo cuenta ejercicios en la cara sobre los pies tú me rompes pejos la mía está bien Brazil, publishing an unauthorized biography is impossible. But journalists and writers are trying to convince legislators to make this easier. Historian Paulo Cesar de Araújo could not have imagined that he would end up writing a book about writing a book. But that's exactly what he did. Last week, he released The Defendant and the King about the controversy generated by his biography of singer Roberto Carlos, one of the most famous artists in Brazil. Carlos managed to forbid the sale of Araújo's 2007 book, Roberto Carlos in detail, claiming that it invaded the artist's privacy. The story of how he lost his leg and of past love affairs were not of public interest, he thought. The judge agreed and ordered the books to be removed from all stores. This was possible because the Brazilian Civil Code considers that privacy is above freedom of information. On that basis, many other works could not be published because the subjects or their families need to authorize them. Although this fact displeases journalists and those who defend full freedom of information, nothing was really done to change the situation until last year. 
Roberto Carlos, Caetano Veloso, and other artists joined the Procure Saber, a lobbying group for musicians' interests. Paolo Lavini, their spokesperson, said in an interview that subjects of biographies should have a share in the sales of the works about their lives. After all, according to her, if it wasn't for the work of those artists, there would be no biography at all. Journalists, writers, and publishing companies were outraged, and the media started debating Lavini's statement and, of course, the impossibility of publishing an authorized biography. A bill that was created three years ago and was stuck in Congress was rescued and was approved by Congress. If the Senate passes it and President Dilma does not veto it, it will be the end of the need for authorizations and publishing biographies. Books such as Araujos will be able to see the light of day and new projects may appear. For now, all Araujo could do was to write a book about his own personal experience in the battle against Roberto Carlos. He describes the awkwardness in meeting his idol in the courtroom while struggling for the survival of his book. Compañía das Letras, his publisher, released the book with no previous notice and bookstores were surprised to receive the book. But guess what? Carlos's lawyers said that they will be analyzing this new book. If they find anything that violates their client's privacy, they will ask for the book to be removed from the stores. If this happens again, it will be probably the last time, fortunately. For KPFA's La Raza Chronicles, this is Diogo Antonio Rodriguez from Sao Paulo, Brazil.
rosa de Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. The following segment was recorded in my home. I was talking to Arnoldo Garcia when he dropped by to discuss the Zapatistas and the latest events in their movement. I asked Arnoldo what was his affiliations with them as a community organizer here in Oakland, and he responded about the work of the last 20 years. Over the last 20 years, a lot of things have happened in our communities. The big thing was that our communities responded. There was a lot of massive big mobilizations. Every time somebody says ask for support or, or move themselves, we would move them. And we we did occupations of the, of the Mexican consulate. We did civil disobedience. We did hunger strikes. In about year 2000, they said, we want you to be somebody in your, in your own battles, in your own movements, in your own trenches. They, that doesn't mean that they don't need support like the way we're doing, raising, you know, raising funds for their schools and so forth. But it also means the best way you can be Zapatistas is to fight for your self-determining your rights where you're at. So in 2000, they made a big change because they were, they were building their own, their own governments, their own power. They were training their, their generation. Right now, there's a generational shift. All the 20-year-olds were being born in 1994. The elders who are in their 40s and 50s. In indigenous communities, the average age is around 46 years of age. So the elders are, are young people, too. And they're making a generation shift where they're, they're obviously giving it all to the indigenous leadership now. The spokesperson is, an, is Moises, who's an indigenous person, a Mayan. So there's all these changes happening, but they've led a lot of battles and they've always focused on, on life and not death, on communities and not corporations, on autonomy and self-determination and not on charity or handouts or the government grants. 
they're doing what a lot of us dream doing of building our communities in, in a healthy way. The Zapatistas really are not one thing. There's the army, the armed wing of it, and then there's the community. Is that right? Yeah, the EZLN, the Ejército Zapatista de Liberación Nacional, is, I would call it a community-based army. They're accountable to the communities. The, over the last 10 years, they've organized, the communities have organized their own governments, the good council governments, and they make the decisions about what they need in their communities, what they're going to focus on. And they've had a little over 20 years now of developing their communities. So they're called autonomous communities, that they're making their own decisions. They don't depend on, on government handouts, on government subsidies of any kind. And they're making their own decisions. And they decided that they were going to take back their lives and their destinies. And that's what they're doing. And they are a huge example, not only for indigenous people in Mexico, but for all people, you know, working class, progressives, radical communists, anarchists, you name it, right? They're inspired a whole swath of communities in Mexico and also worldwide. What happened in 1994, you know, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. had signed the North American Free Trade Agreement that was implemented January 1st. And all that time, there was no consultation with any community for that matter. And the Zapatistas were the only communities that said no to it. A lot of other groups, you know, environmentalists, labor groups, said we're going to monitor this and see if it really is going to affect, you know, human rights, if it's going to affect labor rights and so forth. And the Zapatistas said, no, this is a death sentence for our communities. And they, they had already been planning their uprising, saying, you know, we have to take back our, our own destinies. They had a very poetic way of saying that they're going to choose how they live, and therefore they're going to choose how they die, as opposed to living the slow death and of their communities that have been suffering for hundreds of years now. What about Marcos? We've heard a lot about Subcomandante Marcos. And you explained to me earlier that this is a role, not a person. Could you fill that out and bring us right up to date to where he stands now? Yeah, this is related to the murder of Galeano in the community of La Realidad. The recent murder is that the community asked to consult with the EZLN about what to do because it was not a confrontation between communities. It was a, it was a government-sponsored attack on the Zapatista communities. They have been doing their own investigations of what happened, who are the, actually the persons responsible for killing Galeano. And they don't want just to persecute the persons that kill them. They want that too. But they're asking for not revenge, but for justice. And in the process, because Galeano was an important member of the Realidad community, they also decided to take up his life so that he wouldn't die. And just over the last few days, Marcos made a very important speech in public saying that, you know, the Zapatistas had for a long time had been trying to figure out what do we do with this Marcos guy? Not the person, but the, the character, the, the persona. When the uprising happened in 1994, Marcos was one of the spokespersons for the Zapatistas. And then a lot of attention was being given to him. And it has been given to him because he actually is a very brilliant person. And he has been in the communities for a long time. And which Marcos are you talking so, about? The original? No, the Marcos that's alive right now. There was actually another Marcos that was killed, and then the actual Marcos now that we have took up that name. I think Marcos' original name was Zacarias or something like that. So to make a long story short, they decided we're going to retire Marcos, and Mar the person that you know as Marcos is now going to be called uh, Subcomandante Insurgent Galeano. He's going to take over the, the life or the role of the, of the person who was murdered just a few weeks ago here in La Realidad. And it's a really brilliant thing, right, because they are doing their secret work in public. They're showing about how people are subordinate to the communities. In other words, that they've made a lot of big changes, you know, between how you would see a vanguard army or a guerrilla army to being a community-based army that's accountable to indigenous communities. How decisions are made, it's not by a leader, but it's made collectively, and it's made by civilians to the culture of saying... Even though we have an army, it's not about getting better weapons or more barracks or more or, or recruiting more people to the army. It's actually about building communities, about having more schools, having more better nutrition, having healthier lives, building life. So in order for Galeano to live, the person that was murdered, someone has to die for him. 
And in this case, it's Marcos is going to die for Galeano so that Galeano can relive again. And it's a very indigenous practice that you're dead, your ancestors, to live the life that they dreamed. Because a lot of our ancestors have dreamed the generations that are now alive and, and fighting for justice. I know that in my family, my grandparents, they said, we know who's going to come and do the, what we need to do in order to get our lives back, to go back to our original sources, to be who we're supposed to be. And the Sabadis are, are a living example of that, that they're deciding for themselves who they are and how they're going to be together, how they're going to be related to other people who are not in their communities. And that's what they've been doing since day one, at least since 1994, when everybody came you know, public and they said, here's what we're demanding. In 1994, they had a first major consultation. They brought everybody, it was called the National Democratic Convention, to, to try to agglutinate, accumulate everybody on the same project. And out of those consultations, they came up with their own program of saying, what, what, what changes do we want? And they were negotiating the whole time with the government. When they got all the demands from the broad movements, social justice movements in Mexico, they said, here's what we want. These are our demands. So it's a very big change in the recent memory of revolutions from the Sandinistas to the Farabundistas, the FMLN. Even the Mexican Revolution, for example, they said their first slogan was everything for everybody else, nothing for us. So Marcos, when he's taking on the persona, when he's going to become Galeano, he says, I'm not going to get no book deals. My sons and daughters are not going to get special scholarships to go study in the elite institutions. I'm not going to get all these privileges, land. And he says, no, we're not going to do that. He reminded everybody, remember we said nothing for us, everything for everybody else, so that they're not in it, you know, self-gain or for self-power. And this has happened to other revolutions, right, where they take over the mess and then they become the authors of it. They become responsible for it. And when the Sabinistas took power or emerged, he said, we don't want state power. We don't want to take over. We were holding you accountable for what you've done. And we're going to hold you accountable. And we're going to build our communities the way we want to build them, but without the interference of the state, without the interference of the violence. So even if you look at the landscape in Mexico, Chiapas, relatively speaking, is safer than any other part of the, of the country where there's mass murders, there's beheadings. There's disappearance of women, and you don't see that happen in Chap or at least in the Zapatista territories, other than the, the military attacks that they're subject to by the government. So there's a really big world of a difference, and it makes a lot of sense that once a community is in charge of their destiny, then they can make decisions like the ones they're making about who they're going to relate to, how they're going to relate to anyone. It's very important. So what does that mean for us here? Is that they want us to do the same thing. They want us to be our own Zapatistas. And that's very hard because how do we how do we create autonomous relationships? How do we create self-determination when there's all this onslaught happening of gentrification, of the raids against migrant workers, the attacks on women that we've just witnessed right now? There's been two mass murders targeting women. There's a lot of misogynist violence. There's also a lot of police violence. We have a lot of Galeanos here. We have Andy Lopez. There's younger brothers and sisters in Fresno and Salinas in Seattle, in Oregon, in New York. There's all these murders happening of African-American Latino youth. So we have our own Galeanos. Actually, when they said that, that's what Marcos asked. When Marcos is still Marcos, he asked, he asked everybody, we know what we're going to do about Galeano, but what are you going to do about your Galeanos? While we're talking about Galeano, the author, the Uruguayan author, Eduardo Galeano, also made a comment about this. Do you want to comment on that? Um, yeah, because I think that there was some confusion, maybe. And there's still a lot of confusion about what it means that Marcos has stepped down and so forth. But he was just saying, yeah, I'm going to carry on the Galeano name in a, in a new way, right? Because I think that maybe that Galeano was named after the, the famous writer, Eduardo Galeano, right? He's very inspirational, the stories that he has collected. He's much admired everywhere. In my eyes, he's a Zapatista writer, right? Because he tells all our stories and carries them for us. And he has saved a lot of our history. So he's saying, yeah, I'm going to be Galeano too now. 
because Galena was killed and he's going to have to be a different type of Galena so they don't confuse him also. <laughs> right. So now we have Subcomandante Marcos who has dropped that role, <laughs> assumed the Galeano role to keep that name alive, and then the writer, Eduardo Galeano, promises that he too is going to keep the Galeano name alive. Exactly. Which, of course, he will. Yeah, he will, in, but in a new way because it's... See, it's not just about Galeano. There's a shift happening in terms of of what's happening in Mexico and also what's happening in the U.S. because we live in our reality and they're connected. So there's more attacks happening against our rights. There's less space for our communities to be heard. And in Chiapas, right, the Zapatista territories, they control their space, so they're they're more freer than we are as far, as far as I'm concerned because they're in charge of their destiny. We have to ask ourselves how free we really are if we have to depend on a lot of things to be able to do our work here. And it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility to then say, what are we going to do now? Now, you've been doing a lot of support work for the Zapatistas, and you've also done a lot of community organizing in East Oakland culturally. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. When the Zapatistas came out, they invited people that were their, not not their counterparts, because there's no counterparts, what would be the counterparts in the U.S. So to me, the indigenous people, their counterpart in the U.S. are immigrants, or people are called immigrants. The majority of the immigrants are indigenous people. They're being displaced both from Chiapas and other regions of the southeast. So we were connecting our rally and the immigrant and human rights work that I was doing. We're saying it's, it's not about immigrant rights. It's about human rights. It's about who you are and defending your, your authentic identity can be in the U.S. And in East Oakland, where I live, there's been a lot of violence. It's kind of tapered off, but it's still there. Post-traumatic stress syndrome is affecting our communities in a really severe way. There's not enough health services. There's not enough living wage jobs. And we have to connect to realities. I'm inspired by the Zapatistas, not to try to act like them, but to be myself in this reality that we're here. And that's really hard because you have, to, you have to make a living, you have to raise a family, you have to be able to talk to your neighbors, and you have to be able to do all that. At the same time, in my case, I love to, sub- I love to support the Zapatistas because I think that their survival means a lot to our survival. Their inspiration means a lot, a lot to our inspiration. Their dreams need to infuse ours for indigenous communities to survive there's all these other things that have to change because it's about their land. For example, here in Oakland, we're in Ohlone land. Ohlone land has been gentrified to hell and back. So we're all gentrifiers at a certain level, right? Even though there's a new generation of gentrification happening and people are being displaced from San Francisco, Oakland, into the suburbs, it's a big mess. So how do we get out of this mess? That's the question we all have to ask ourselves. That while the Zapatistas have figured out how to get out, out of their own mess, the mess that, that was imposed on them, I don't think we figured it out yet, but we're trying. We're trying, and I know as a poet, you address some of these issues. Do you share some of your poems? Yeah, right now, there, there's so much violence that has happened both to co-workers, uh, close, beloved people in my family and in my relationships. So I wrote this poem that's called If I Was Human. If I was human, I would be a woman whose fists would be in tenderness filled with thorns. I would worry about nothing except my daughters. I would love freely the man who would make me laugh at philosophy. I would love freely the man who would not hurt ants or my tears. If I was human, I wouldn't fear unemployment. I wouldn't fear the distance that keeps me from her. I wouldn't fear anything except not being able to love the rain of winters without hope. If I was human, you would be happy, more fearless than you already are. You would be able to live where the sun sets and rises without losing your place. You would say, your wrinkled skin, your battered lungs do not matter. Only that your heart pounds in my hands. Only that your smile is a machete to wield against my darkness. That your scars are the DNA of my pleasure. If I were human, utopia would be now, wherever we go, wherever we are. 
You just heard Arnoldo Garcia reading his original work. Do you have any other poems you might share? I brought a poem from, it's actually from when I was in Chiapas. It's about the same thing, right, that we're talking about, Marcos becoming Galeano. It has a line that says, Todos somos indios, pero no todos somos indios. We're all Indians, but we're not all Indians. We're all Marcos, but we're not all Marcos. And this is actually from 1998. You know, it's more like a Last Poets type of poem. The poem is called Manifesto at the Last Moment. And it was written on December 31st on the eve of another anniversary of the Zapatista uprising. And the Zapatistas, as, as always, had issued a brilliant manifesto. We had a, a network of supporters, and we hadn't written anything, so that's why I call it Manifesto Last Moment, and I issued it on the, at the same time, trying to keep up with the vision that we have. So it was written in a time when, at that time, there was a scandal going on with, with President Bill Clinton. Uh, he had been he had actually been impeached for having sex with an intern. Her name was Monica Lewinsky. And Bill Clinton, at that time, was also carrying out drone and, and manned strikes against Iraq in the Middle East, you know, killing people like uh, President Obama is, is also doing the same thing. This is manifesto at the last moment. There is a new demand to be paid 100 years of solidarity over 500 years of differences. Brothers and sisters of our blood, there are trenches in the palms of your hands. There are canyons under our eyes. There is a humming song awakening saying, what we've done is not enough. The earth, the land demands more. When you sleep, dream resistance. When you arise from bed, bring the sun with you. When you get to work, right throughout space, down with the cold shoulder, down with the shadows, down with those who know everything and do nothing, down with those who know nothing and don't do enough, down with paved roads and lonely drivers, down with unemployment and jobs that pay humiliation on payday, down with open spaces where homes should be, down with, with homes where open space should breathe, down with the heartless who live in the homes the size of their pocketbook, down with the homeless who live in their hearts without blood, down with Monica and her $600,000 lips in the no-fly zone, down with the president's heart on as he bombs Baghdad and Iraq, down with globalization without a world for a clue, down with localization without community, down with a half-eaten moon that stinks of rotting avocados, down with a half-mass that honors criminals that have robbed the future, down with those who want to be someone and are no one, down with those who want to be no one and are someone, down with those who are monolingual and lie multilingually, down with those who seduce God and sleep with the lamb and the lion, down with family values without families, down with families whose only value is in the bank, down with banks who rob us of our past and store our coagulated pains in high-interest, low-yield jails. Arise, Indians of the world, arise, ye slaves of television, arise, ye poor of the world, arise, the forgotten, the forlorn, arise, music of beds creaking in the plight of upright basses, arise, unrecorded sounds of our hunger, arise, pianos and borders without keys, arise, illegal aliens, arise, earthly skins, arise, sixths and only sun, arise, whales and endangered tongues, arise, all who are down and out. Arise those who have been half-eaten by schools and banks. Arise inner cities of our childhood. Arise woman afraid of man. Arise man afraid of men. Arise black man, black woman afraid of whites. Arise white man, white woman afraid of blacks. Arise chickens afraid of resistance. Arise arcoirises, rainbows, the backs of farm workers. Arise, maize ancestors. Arise, Jose y Manuela. Arise, Guadalupe, Cuatlique, woman, madre, and earth. 
Arise, those whose last names are not the color of their skins. Arise, those whose first names have been anglicized. Arise, the hearts who beat for ancestral justice. Arise, arise. Arriba los pobres del mundo. Arriba las madre golpeada. Arriba los hijos abandonados. Arriba tu mano, tu cuerpo que me gesta todas las mañanas, mujer. Arriba los esclavos del Telemundo. Arriba los indios autoaztequizados chicanos. Arriba Atzlán, no Atzlán. Todos somos indios. We are all Indians. Pero no todos somos indios. But not everyone is an Indian. Un indio fantasma recorre la tierra. An Indian specter is haunting the world. Zapata vive. Zapata lives. En las milpas que izan espadas verdes de maíz. In the milpa fields that raise green swords of maize. Y mazorcas explosivas and explosive corn cobs. Esta es la última batalla. This is the final battle. Esta es la única tierra. This is the only earth. Arriba los indios del mundo. Arise, Indians of the world. You just heard Arnoldo Garcia reading his original work. It was a pleasure speaking with Arnoldo Garcia, and I look forward to being able to learn more from him and share it with you, our listeners. Muchas gracias. Falta de razón que me 
quiera yo escapar de este viento que me aleja y no me deja
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. You've just heard the beautiful voice of singer-songwriter Diana Gameros. She is here on the line with us. You just heard the song SB1070 off Diana Gameros' latest release called Eterno Retorno. And we're very lucky to have her on the line with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Diana. Thank you for having me, Julieta. So, Diana, we just heard this really wonderful song that has a great message, but also has a great style of mixing in not just your beautiful guitar playing, but some other great musicians. Tell us about the song. Uh, well, this is a song that I wrote after the Senate Bill 1070 was passed in Arizona. And this was my way to, to tell the, I want to say, victims of this law, I'm with you and I feel your pain. Musically speaking, it's a song that uh, incorporates a little bit more jazz elements, I guess, and really amazing musicians, and uh, an arranger, composer, Patrick Wolf on clarinet and saxophone, and he's also the one who helped me out with some of the arrangements, the horn arrangements. And um, it's Thomas Etler on bass, Ara Anderson on trumpet. We have the Rhodes, too, and that was Robert Shelton on the Rhodes. So this song, you know, gives people a little bit of a flavor of your style, but you're going to be performing in just a couple weeks at the SF Jazz Center. So why don't you tell our listeners about that show? Well, we're really excited about this show because for a whole hour, we're going to, we're going to be presenting songs from this album and some other new tunes that we've been working on. So, yeah, we're really excited to be sharing with you all these songs in this beautiful space. We're actually going to be playing at the Joe Henderson Lab, which is the the hall that you can see from the street, which is a little bit more intimate. So and that's what we really like. Anyway, so we're really, really happy to be playing our music in that space. So people who heard SB 1070 got a sense of more of a jazzy feel and some of the arrangements that you have there. Your CD, Eterno Retorno, covers a wide range of styles, and you have a lot of influences and even sing in different languages. So tell our listeners a little bit about all the many influences that shape your style and what they may hear at that show on the 14th. I really love, you know, different styles of music. And so when I was producing this album, I thought I wanted to to be cohesive and, and I was a little bit worried, but I actually thought, well, this is really me, you know, and especially living in a in a place like San Francisco where I've met people from from all parts of the world and I, I soak up their sounds, I soak up their their languages, their their ideas, you know, musical ideas or philosophical ideas. So I think that's what this album is a little bit about. And so, yeah, they, I sing, um, I have songs in Spanish, in English, and then I included a poem that I set to music by a French woman, a poet uh, named Claude de Bourin. So, yeah, it's all on that, on that album that we will be showing at the SMTF Center that we will be playing for you all. So for people who haven't had a chance to hear Eterno Retorno, if you could kind of just walk them through, what are the, some of the styles or what are some of the themes that you touch on through your music? This is an album that, you know, the inspiration for this was my life as an immigrant and all the, you know, all the dualities that come with that, all the the nostalgia, but also the, the gratitude and the appreciation for, for my roots and for the place where where I am now. And musically, it just, it's that it, it's the the mix of everything that that makes me, including 
you know, the traditional sounds from my country and from other Latin American countries, but also the sounds that I've been soaking up ever since I moved to this country and I've been studying music and collaborating with other artists that play different styles. So it's, a, would say, a beautiful combination of different cultures and, and, different, and different sounds. So people can hear that and they'll also be able to hear some of the beautiful arrangements at the SF Jazz Center show. So give us the dates and the times. How can people find out more about that show and maybe give also our listeners a little bit more information about who will be playing with you? Yeah, so this will be on Saturday, June 14th, and we will have two shows, one at 7 p.m. and one at 8.30 p.m., in San Francisco, the SF Jazz Center, Joe Henderson Lab. And you can find tickets at sfjazz.org, or you can always go to my website, dianagameros.com. And I am really honored to be sharing the stage with Patrick Wolf on tenor saxophone and clarinet. And then I have Thomas Etler on upright bass and Hamir Atwal on drums. So, yeah, we're pouring our hearts out for this gig. So we really hope that everybody can make it. And so we're going to go out with another song from Eterno Retorno, your CD, The Anagameros. And so why don't you give our listeners a little insight into this song and a little bit about why you wrote it. We're going to listen to Ligerita, and this is a song that I wrote in my desire to be, I guess, white or pure and light as a, as a blank sheet of paper, allowing life to write new stories on me every, every day. So this is Ligerita. Una hoja en blanco Es lo que necesito Donde la ansiedad Y la apatía se oculta Donde la ansiedad y la impaciencia se refugie. Donde la ansiedad y la impaciencia se refugie. Aliviando mis pesares va la hoja de papel convirtiéndose en aliada de los asuntos de la Quiero ser, ligerita quiero ser, así de blanca como una hoja de papel, así de blanca como una hoja de papel. Que yo te pido donde la soledad y el corazón se junten donde la soledad y la conciencia se dibuje 
donde el soledad y la conciencia se dibuje aliviando mis pesares va la hoja de papel convirtiéndose en aliada de los asuntos del ayer ligerita quiero ser ligerita quiero ser así de blanca como una hoja de papel así de blanca
Chronicles is happy to announce that the Mission Neighborhood Centers have received millions of dollars to promote their historic Head Start and Early Head Start program for the Mission District. The celebration will be Wednesday, June 4th at 4 p.m. Everyone is welcome to celebrate this wonderful opportunity for our children. You've been listening to Cronicas de la Raza. Muchas gracias por escucharnos. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles. If you have any suggestions for future shows or issues we should cover, artists we should feature, please email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. We appreciate any feedback. If you'd like to get involved with the program, that's also a great way to connect to us. And if you want to stay up on our news, you can follow us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. And you can also listen to past archives of our program at soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.